Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I am Aaron Osborne, your host, as usual. Very brutal. Yeah. Um, this week, my guest is Tom Whalen. Tom um, is the tallest person I know and also runs a fucking sick podcast uh, with my friend Stu called Stu and Tom's Podcast. I've had Stu on in the past and I was a guest on their podcast in the past as well. Um, and I thought it'd be cool to round it out and have him come in and have a chat as well and sort of get, uh, you know, his side of how they got things started up with that. And then also talk to him about the relationship he's had with music and growing up in Melbourne and, um, sort of being a fairly integral part to the hardcore scene in Melbourne for quite a long time. And, um, putting out records and putting on shows and doing a lot of cool things. And yeah, Tom's a really nice guy and I just thought it'd be cool to have a chat. So yeah, that's about all I can tell you about this conversation. Um, it's good. It's interesting. Um, as with the last couple, I'm sort of working on a new way of recording these things. So it's, uh, Excuse me if there's any issues here, but this one was recorded at my house, so I doubt there was any problems with it. Um, but yeah, hopefully it sounds good. If not, or as always, fucking tell me about it and I'll try and fix it up. Um, as with the last couple, spruiking myself again. We got some shirts on the internet. Um, Obliviousmaximus.bigcartel.com Thank you so much to the people who've bought them. Um, it means a lot. It's awesome that people are supporting uh, the podcast in that way. Um, I assure you that I am making absolutely no money off it whatsoever. I am just trying to spread it as much as I can. And, um, you know, people representing that stuff for me is amazing. And I thank you endlessly. Um, But yeah, I'm going to make some stickers and stuff soon too. So I'll be handing those around. So if anyone wants some stickers when I've got them. Fucking let me know, dude. I'll give them to you. For free! Anyway, um, yeah. Here's the latest episode of the Oblivious Maximus podcast um, with my mate Tom Whalen from Washed Up Records and Stu and Tom's podcast and being a straight-up legend who's often gigging. Um, So, hope you enjoy it. This one is episode number 19 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast. Enjoy it. Episode 19. Brutal. See ya. Tom. Thank you for coming to my house to do my podcast. Pleasure. Um, all right, so let's kick it off right away. How did you first get into music? How is it an interest that spawned for you? Um, so just music in general? Not yeah, like, just music in yeah. general. Um, probably, well, mum and dad were always listening to music. Yeah. Um, like they have the Rolling Stones and Beatles discographies. Um, 
my dad's favorite band by far is the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Like he's like a Rolling Stones encyclopedia. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, they're not the kind of people that just kind of go, like, you know, we like music and we just listen to a bit of this, a bit of that, you know, they're as specific about the bands they like as you or I would be about the bands For that sure. we like, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was always music in the house. Um, I always had access to like their tapes or dad's record collection. Um, whenever dad went to buy new music, he would always take me. Yeah. Um, I think the first physical thing that I owned was an Aerosmith tape. Yes. Brilliant. Um, I can't remember the exact release. Yeah. Um, it might've been that living on the edge song maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but, um, and then uh, JB Hi-Fi like opened up sort of up the road from us. And um, by that stage, I started going to school, um, like the, the high school that I went to, like the high school that I went to started in year four. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, the dudes that I um, were friends with had older brothers. Mm-hmm. So me already being interested in music and sort of listening to the radio on my own and sort of getting into stuff um, sort of that way as well it was just a bit of a coincidence that the dudes that I was hanging out with at school their brothers were into the same shit that I was yeah getting into through the radio which was you know your Soundgarden's Pearl Jam Nirvana Smashing Pumpkins yeah the sort kind of, of thing. beginnings of getting into alternative yeah, music or whatever yeah yeah um, and then through that went um, stuff like No Doubt uh, Friends Will Rom Blink 182 yeah the sort of stuff that's on like the fringe of punk that you would maybe hear on like, you know, on the radio, ma- yeah, mainstream stuff. radio, you know? Yeah. And then, um, and then I, uh, there was like a new kid that, that came to school that had a Blink-182 patch on his bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I like Blink-182. And he goes, what other bands like them do you, do you like? And I was like, Friends of Rom, Body Jar, that's it. Yeah. And he was like, this band, this band, this band, this band, this <laughs> band. And like, just told me about all like Fat Records bands and stuff. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I kind of got into like punk bands through him and then um, through going to like seeing like little Melbourne bands like Cretan's Puddle, Game Over, Caustic Soda um, when I was like probably 14, 15 or maybe 15, 16. Yep. Um, then people at those shows would have like hardcore merch on. Yep. And then like I'd ask them about those those bands and then um, my uh, one of my mates at school live next door to, to these two girls that were both vegan straight edge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was like, yeah, yeah. Like we'll go to one of those shows. Like I know a few of the people. So then I started going to hardcore shows and found out a bit about that. And it's pretty Just much sort of rolled along from there. Yeah, yeah. So where did, whereabouts in Melbourne did you grow up? Um, first of all in Hawthorne. Yeah. And then, uh, and then in Malvern. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like the high school that I went to was like a private, um, like Christian, Boys yeah. school yeah so it's a very conservative I yeah <laughs> yeah um and so was there like was that then like the school and starting going to shows and stuff when you were that young was that like something that was like supported and endorsed by the people in the school that you were at or was that something you were sort of seeking out well, with like your neighbor and stuff like that it wasn't too bad because the 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 group of guys that i initially was fr- were friends with we're like all jocks because I was good at basketball and football so yeah. that's kind of how you like m- like 
draw to people, you know what I mean? Sure, Just through yeah, sports. Yeah. So, so that were the guys that I was listening to like Pearl Jam and like Nirvana and stuff with. So that wasn't too bad. And then there was a couple of those guys that would get on like the level of like body jar and playing one or two and stuff with mm-hmm. me. But then um, with the thing with my high school, went from grade four to, to year eight yeah. and then year nine to 12, is it a, a different campus? Sure. Um, so when I moved on to that campus is when I moved, when, when, when I met that kid who got me into other bands mm-hmm. and then I kind of moved away from like the jock dudes um, and then kind of like started hanging out with the stoners. Yeah. And now we're into like your soul flies, your Panteras, corn, sure. you know, that kind of thing. So through them, like I got into a bit heavier stuff too. So I always had people at school around me that, you know, I could relate to at like a, at some level. Yeah, but then yeah, when sure. I got into hardcore, like it got way harder to sort of, you know, I was always saying to, to them, I listen to Mind Snare, listen to Hatebreed, listen to Earth Crisis. And now just like, you, you, like there's a huge difference between, well, not a huge difference, but if you know hardcore, there's a difference between metal and hardcore. You yeah, know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, so for them, they just could, there was something about the hardcore bands that they just couldn't get. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so yeah, but at least I still liked, you know, Soulfly and, and that kind of stuff yeah. and Corn and Pantera. So I could still like hang with those guys and still listen to music. But mm. um, with the hardcore stuff, yeah, it was all all crew outside of school. Yeah. Like, yeah, no one, no one. And so at the time when that was all happening for you, was it like small all ages shows or what, what were the type of shows you were going to to get uh, sort of into that? Sne- like sneaking into the art house in the corner hotel as much as possible. Yeah. And, um, and... The, the Punters Club was, um, I don't know if anyone knows, Bimbo's Pizza on yep. Brunswick Street. It used to be a venue called the Punters Club. Yeah. Um, I snuck into that a couple of times too. I watched um, I watched like MXPX and like Madball through the window on the street. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so that used to be a venue. Um, and yeah, I used to go and get into there every time I, like I could or else I'd knock back in the air, just hang in the street and watch bands from the window. Yeah. Um, but if it was all ages... There was at that at that point there was only shows in rehearsal studios. Yeah. Um. There was a place called uh, Wax. Yeah. That was um. It actually turned into Midian Studios. Mm-hmm. Um. So there was a couple of shows there. There was a joint called Troy Balance that was in North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um. There was another place in South Melbourne. I can't remember the name. Um. But that was that was a really good venue actually. Now I think about it. But yeah, I just can't can't think of the name. Well, that. Uh, yeah, Troy Balance was definitely in North Melbourne. The South Melbourne, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just like random rehearsal studios here and there. Um, and then um, people started rehearsing at this joint called Shantytown in, um, I guess the suburb is probably Brunswick. Yeah. And it turned out that Shantytown had this huge space in the middle of where all the rehearsal studios were. Mm-hmm. So then... Like we started booking that and that's when kind of shows got a little bit bigger yeah. and therefore like, you know, bands could play to more people and therefore shows had to go and move into your community halls and yeah. that kind of shit, you know? Get out of small confined spaces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So was that something that by way of like getting involved with things, when did that sort of um, like become prevalent to you that you would, you know, that you wanted to be like contributing more than just attending? Well, it kind of started with me making friends with um, this this girl, Bronwyn. Mm-hmm. Um, if people have worked with Destroyer Lines in the early years, they probably dealt with her or she she worked for Stomp for a while and did tours for Stomp. She, she's done, she, she's brought so many bands out. Yeah, yeah. Come, Comeback Kids first tour, 
On Broken Wings, Evergreen Kateris's first tour. Um, she brought out Earth Crisis. Um, there's probably a huge wall list that I can't just think of off the top of my head, but yeah. I made friends with her. And at that stage, she was just working for, um, it was Goo, mm-hmm. um, which is basically what Next was before it was Next. Sure. And they had it at um, the Metro nightclub yeah. in the, at the top of the city. Um, so we made friends and a couple of times we went to Adelaide just to see bands together. Yeah. And we made friends with I Killed the Prom Queen and um, we wanted to bring them to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So then me and her just put on a gig at this Shantytown joint for I Killed the Prom Queen. Yeah. And, and she also booked them at Goo, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure if it happened the first time around or not. But, um, but yeah, it basically just started me and her just putting on shows to bring our friends' bands from interstate over. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of realized that we weren't shit at it. Yeah. So You could manage. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the shows yeah. were relatively successful. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, just sort of just went from there, you know, putting, you know, bringing bands over, um, putting on local shows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then I, uh, I did like Psych Your Mind yep. for the first time. I mean, it was only at the Art House, Shot Point Blank and... Um, Oh, taking sides yep. were the only interstate bands that played the first one mm-hmm. and there was just eight Melbourne bands and it was yeah just at the art house nothing nothing too crazy um, but yeah that that was a success for everyone involved mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah I kind of realised that yeah like just I wasn't shit at it so I might as well continue to do it because I kind of felt bands already pay like how much does a rehearsal space cost for five hours or something like maybe yeah, 70, like 70 bucks yeah or 70 bucks or something yeah then you, you got to buy your amps and your and your you know all your all your gear your guitars you got to buy strings yeah, yeah. you got to drive from your house to the rehearsal studio and obviously five guys in a band don't always live in the same area so people come from all over the yeah. place being in a band is an expensive thing for sure and on top of all of that spending time writing the songs rehearsing them getting them good you don't want to be trying to like do a show for for your band at the same time you know what i mean it's just yeah. it's, it's just like so hard you know mm. so obviously it's reasonable to be in a band and not being fucked to be able to you know do something like that mm. so someone else has to do it yeah for and, sure and i mean if if all i have to do is put the show on and the and then get the band to rock up and the band you know play the music then you know it makes it easier for everyone you know so yeah that's sick that's a good outlook on it actually and i i think that like I would argue that a lot of people start out thinking that way, but then end up not caring about the <laughs> bands anymore. Yeah, well, start being far more concerned about themselves. Yeah, but. well, I mean, like it, it definitely started off with, you know, bands need to play shows and shows need to happen because if shows happen, more kids come and therefore it's a stronger scene. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, over the years it gets more and more oh, less hell. about that and more about. I have this responsibility now. Yeah. I've got to, you know, like it, it is less about the bands and me more about, I guess, um, living up to my reputation. You sure. know what I mean? And, and putting on a good show, you know? Yeah. So, well, you so, don't want, you don't want to be the guy who did something awesome once and then the next thing to be shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, cause the thing is bands are going to realize they're going to say, okay, well, Tom's shows are fucking shit. Mm. So why would we play him? Yeah. You know? And then I'm, I'm putting on, a show for five bottom tier bands and 30 people are rocking up and no one's even making petrol money to get to the show or sure. I'm not even making money to, to pay myself back for the photocopying the flyers, you know? So yeah, yeah. There's, there's just no point in doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Just It's just a, it's just boring for everyone involved. So. Yeah. Um, and so like that, 
the drive, I guess, to do that stuff though, like, did that just come from wanting to see bands play or was it, you know, was there always that kind of within you that you thought, I want to help, you know, build this a lot here? Because I mean, I think as an outsider, as someone who is from Canberra, I noticed for sure when it, you know, I started becoming involved with hardcore and stuff that you had like an enormous impact as far as I could tell on things happening in Melbourne. Well, it was a bit of both. Like there was definitely bands that I wanted to see and I wanted to like pit to and I knew they would cover like a rad song. So yeah. I was like, well, no one else is putting on a show for them. So I'm just going to include them on one of my shows and therefore sure. I get to see them and that that's cool. But there was also a huge emphasis on the hardcore scene and, and making it as good as possible, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and uh, yeah, like, like I, I mean, not to sort of big myself up or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, like I, like I feel that the, the stuff that I did when I was doing it um, was like, yeah, like a positive impact. I think so. So, yeah. so not knowing that that was happening was also incentive to keep doing it. Sure. As well. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I guess as well on top of that too, is that once that starts happening too, you start making fucking heaps of friends and then beyond that, it ends up oh, being yeah. a lot about seeing your mates too. Oh, for sure. Like it, it got to a point where I knew almost every band in every state yeah. that was at least had a demo out or was regularly doing shows. Mm. So when I like, I, not only was I doing shows in Melbourne, but I was booking tours like up the East coast. And when I'd go on those tours, yeah, it's just, you can just rely on being able to stay at people's houses or you can rely on just hanging out with people. Like, yeah, it's, yeah it, it definitely gets to a point where you just know so many people that it, it just makes all that shit real fun as well yeah. because you get to see people and then when the show's finished, you're hanging out, you're going to get food or whatever, or you're just going back to someone's house and you're just hanging out and yeah. So that's, yeah, that's also like an added bonus by yeah. doing that. You just make a lot of friends and get a lot of contacts and that kind of thing too. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, and I mean, I don't, again, you would have to enlighten me on this, but as, as far as I can tell in the time that I've spent doing this, I've noticed that um, Melbourne in particular seems to have fluctuating periods of when all ages things and stuff like that. Um, and like lots of local shows appear to be like, there's so many of them. And then there'll be like a year where <laughs> there's just none. It's like four. <laughs> and then it's just like jammed again. Was like, was that something as well that happened for you? Was there a time where like you'd noticed a lull or something? Well, for me personally, doing shows and doing my label um, kind of burnt me out a little bit. Yep. So um, I actually like um, noticeable, like I, I did it on purpose. Like I, it wasn't just like a random thing that happened. Like I purposely stopped going to shows unless it was like an international band or like a really big deal. Yeah. Um, and like sort of got into like some other stuff. Like I started DJing and that kind of thing and actually like removed myself from the hardcore scene, stopped doing the label. Yeah. Stopped doing the shows. And um, up until that point, I felt, that, I mean, it was relatively strong because um, then you had like Cassie and Craig were putting on shows mm-hmm. and like they were actually like spending their weekends driving around like Googling halls and, yeah. and like finding places and like talking to the owners and seeing if it was suitable for hardcore shows and trying to find venues. And when they found a good one, then they'd put on as many shows as they could. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and a few other people were doing that kind of thing, um, sort of, you know, like in the suburbs and that kind of stuff. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, up until I actively stopped going to show you, like I felt it was, it was fairly healthy. Mm. And then I couldn't, I couldn't really tell you how like the scene yeah. was when I stopped going to shows. Yeah. Cause I, I stopped talking to a lot of people. I kind of just did my own thing, mm. met new friends, that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I couldn't really tell you, but, but then when I came back to sort of, you know, being more involved and, you know, going to shows again and, and sort of showing like a stronger interest. Um, yeah. Things were definitely different. Yeah. Um, in terms of like participation at the shows, mm. numbers coming through the door, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that's like with everything, you know? Yeah, it works in waves. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I mean, you, you, you could like, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that you could probably just YouTube a show on the internet yeah. in yeah, the comfort yeah. of your own house, you yeah, know? No, no, <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously, I think everyone who I've spoken to for this so far has just said like, like one of the things that always ends up happening is like to anything, whether it's like releasing music, live music, like the way publicity works in music, one thing will work. So everyone will do that one thing and then that thing gets flooded and then it gets bailed yeah. on and then the new thing comes along. Yeah, definitely. I, like I feel that that's the same with how bands sound as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Like a band will tour, the tour will be sick, everyone will go off, everyone's wearing their merch for a couple of months after that. So then the new bands that start coming up yeah. sound like that sound band. Like that band yeah. And then once that's kind of done and people are over it, then the new thing sort of happens, Yeah, you know? Um, and I think that's probably, I was actually talking to, to um, the Life Lair Regret guys mm-hmm. on the weekend about this as well. Um, and it's something that I never really thought of, but it makes perfect sense that because of that, how bands want to sound like, you know, the, the latest, um, you know, buzz band or whatever. Sure. Um, and, and because... Doing in, like instead of just playing what comes naturally to you and trying to sound and, and, and then sounding like something instead, yeah, that doesn't really give your band. Um, it gives your band like a shelf life, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, um, and that's probably why, like, the scene or whatever is a bit weird at the moment. Why you've got like these different pockets of hardcore? Sure, you know nothing. It, it's just it's not one big scene. It's like these different ones here and there. Yeah, it, it's because everyone's trying to sound like different things, mm-hmm. you know? And then, and then those bands that just try to sound like stuff, just come and go. Yeah. You know, there, there's no sort of guys that, I mean, I, we'll take Iron Mind, for example. Those guys have sounded the same ever since. Yeah, since like they've, started. They've, they've, you know, they've evolved, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. they've just been the same thing, you know, ever since they've started. Mm-hmm. And they're a band that you can put on with Thorns, you could put on with Rort, you could put on with like, I guess like Manhunt or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're a band that plays with all of these different pockets of hardcore. You yeah. know what I mean? And they, they exist in every little scene. Sure. Um, because they never purposely sort of said, we're going to sound like this band that, you know, is yeah. popular at the moment or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think that's, uh, I mean, I think that also sort of just comes in hand with growing up though as well. Like I think, I mean, I know for sure that when, you know, when I was a kid and when I started playing in bands, like, the first band I played in, it was like, we're a new metal band. And then once we'd all stopped listening to new metal all the time, we're like, oh, we're going to be a thrash band now. <laughs> I was like, ah, when that ended, we're like, oh, now we're a death metal band. And yeah. then, you know, me and those friends sort of spread apart. So then I went and joined another death metal band and then, you know, I can move beyond that. But I didn't think the first time I ever really 
was like doing something just because I wanted to do it. And I didn't care what it sounded like. I didn't have like a got really like a plan for what I wanted to do with it was I exist. And then that ultimately became the band that I've done the most with and is still a band. I I think I I exist is a perfect example of what I was saying before as well. Yeah. Like, Like you guys could play any show, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, You've played with like Friends or Rom recently. Yeah. You know, you can play with like, you, you can play like a hardcore show in like the small room at Phoenix. Yeah. Or, you know, you could play, you could support like a huge like metal band or something at like the Corner Hotel or the Hi Fi or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're a band that can just do everything because, well, I at least get the, the, the impression that you guys have just gone, let's just play music together because we're all mates and we'll yeah. play something that we th- we feel sounds sick. You yeah. Going, okay, well, here are our three favorite bands, so let's just sound like them, you know? Like- yeah, and I, I mean, that definitely is like a threat that can occur sometimes because you can get kind of stuck in a way, like I noticed, I've noticed in the past with that exists where like if we've done like a bunch of shows or a bunch of tours in a row or something that have been with like similar sounding bands, we'll inevitably end up like hearing those riffs and I'll end up writing them or something and then it'll take someone else telling me like probably pretty hard to be a musician (laughs) and not play the stuff that you're listening to yeah yeah yeah, exactly you you, you probably have to make a point of like the time when you listen to music during the day to purposely break it up yeah yeah. like I'll listen to EDM in the morning then I'll listen (laughs) to like I don't know reggae at lunchtime and then I'll go like fucking 18th century Russian opera (laughs) At night, just to make sure that I don't play like you know, the same riffs. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's. I think that's funny, and I I do think that's probably like things like that. It it might be kind of what has a like forces things into a bit of a lull. Is when not 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 that saying right now is a lull, but I'm just saying like I think at the moment, especially in Melbourne, as far as I can tell, I, and again from someone who doesn't contribute that much to the hardcore scene here i mean i go to shows and stuff but i don't play in any hardcore bands based in melbourne really um but like i think the thing that i've noticed is that at the moment it's kind of like dudes that were in bands before have all sort of dissipated or have started doing other things or not playing music as much and then it has a lot to do with just getting older yeah as well yeah you know like when you're a teenager or probably anything under the age of 25, maybe. Yeah. Like touring and just like hanging out and... It's the best. Doing what you want yeah. is super easy. Yeah, yeah. You know? But then like you start realizing that, oh shit, like I got to pay my phone bill. I've got to pay rent. I've got to pay my car loan or I've got to do this. I've got yeah, to do yeah. That, you know, and, and then working all the time comes becomes more important than yeah. anything else, you know? Yeah. And that that's definitely like... It's definitely... You know, when that starts happening, it's definitely a bummer. But then at the, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I, well, and this is what I've said. Like, it's off. It's different for a lot of people. But and it's not to say that I wouldn't encourage people to, like, just go for their dream and be a musician. But, like, I, I personally think in reality in Australia, if you are playing alternative music of whatever ilk, like punk or hardcore or metal or whatever... There is so, like, the opportunities are so limited here for that to get to a point where you could live as an adult solely off being in a band. 
Like oh, it's 100%. almost impossible. <laughs> like you can list the bands that have been successful in terms of the band that pays that pays the rent. You know, the band pays the rent. Sure, so yeah. I mean that you know, being a financially successful, that's probably like where you would grade it or whatever. Yeah. Like you could list the bands who are alternative, mind you, you know, yeah. so you know, there's obviously a shitload of Australian bands that have made it. Sure. But it, like alternative ones. Yeah, the list is small. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, and that's, and again, that's not for lack of bands being sick. Like, I mean, the perfect example for me always is Mind Snare. Is like, oh, yeah, when yeah. you talk to any dude from a big band from overseas, they're always like, dude, have you heard Mind Snare before? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I have heard them before. And yeah. they're like, what's See that band? What's that band? Times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's that band doing? And it's like, well, They've got kids and they've got real lives. And they're the oldest people in the scene. So it's, you know. <laughs> but, you know, and that's that's sort of an, an example of that. Like, I, I'm, and I don't know. I'm not sure that there was ever a point where Mind Snare were like trying to do things like that. I don't know that side of things with them. But that's like, I personally think, and I'm. it seems to be a shared opinion around the world, that they're like a fucking amazing band. But... I think a lot of where it came from, like them not doing heaps more comes from the fact of the time that they started in Australia definitely, and being in Australia. Like it totally, you know, stifled the fact that, you know, in a point where, like, as you said, when they were young and super enthusiastic and they could have had the drive to go and do as much stuff as humanly possible, there wasn't anything really helping them to get there you yeah know? Their, their timeline not only as a band but as humans yeah you know what i mean was just like unlucky yeah you know what i mean like yeah. if like hang choke wrist split came out when those dudes were in their mid-20s mm. and that was in 2005 yeah like that would have been great for them yeah you know but yeah it's, it's obviously- yeah it's uh, it's just um it's it's one of those things that it's, it's like um I mean, I know for sure that I've sort of just, just growing out of that stuff myself where I'm now at a point where it's like, oh, I would fucking love to go do stuff. And like friends of mine have been like, oh, come and do this tour or come and uh, go overseas and do this. And it's like, oh yeah, I need to pay rent and (laughs) I need to work because if I quit this job, what am I going to do when I come back? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like you, you can go overseas and have a sick time and like- you probably have these memories forever. Yeah. But, you know, being evicted also sucks. Yeah, <laughs> fucking earth. There's that one month of like awesome fun doesn't amount to much if you come home and you're homeless. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so with booking shows and stuff then, was that how it grew into releasing records for you then? Um, not really. Washed Up came about by um, two dudes, Cam and Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon played in a band called Looking In yep. for a little while, or Looking In. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, Cam Cam never did a band, but him and Simon lived together and started a distro, just called Washed Up Distro. Yeah. And they just, you know, had the list online. You could, you could, you know, mail order stuff, and they brought brought it to shows and this and that. And I was really good friends with those guys anyway. I actually worked with Simon at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't tell you what 
like how the thought came into my mind to do a label. Mm -hmm. But I basically just said to Simon, well, let's just do a label and we'll just call it washed up and we'll just include the distro, but we'll do a label at the same time. Yeah. And, um, and then, so we talked about it and sort of got a bit of advice or whatever. And, um, and then Carpathian, um, when they started off, no one liked them yeah. just because <laughs> Marty had like a big mouth and was it just a bit of a rat bag online and everyone was just like, Oh fuck this kid. Sure. But the stuff that they were playing, even though like people weren't that psyched on the guy, the music like wasn't too bad. Like they were playing a few shows here and there doing like a few supports. Sure. Um, they got a, they got a new drummer who had been in a few like, bands that had gigged around a little bit and he like scan was mm -hmm. like like um when he started in carpathian kind of knew what was up a little bit and changed him up a bit um so i just i just said to marty i was like yo i'm starting a label yeah do you want to do like an ep on the label and that's just kind of where it started yeah like that 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 ep was pretty successful people yep. are into it um it definitely made carpathian more popular mm -hmm. um and therefore, it made it easier for us to do more releases. Yeah. You know, just based on the fact that because of them, our name kind of got out there a little bit. Sure. In terms of the label. Um, and then it was good because I could then do shows under Washed Up Records sure, as well. Yeah. So. It had a banner for it or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, that, yeah, I mean, the, the shows and the, and the label didn't have anything to do with each other at the start, but then they definitely helped each other out like as during, during their lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you brought it up before, but so, you know, there was a period in your life where you had determined that you were going to sort of remove yourself from hardcore and stuff for a while. Like what, like you said earlier that it sort of came from just being burnt out, but was that from just years of putting in effort that burnt you out with that or what was it? Well, it, I mean, it wasn't too bad because I felt at the time like me traveling the country once every two months. Yeah. Um, not really paying for any shows at all, regardless of who put them on or who was playing. Yeah. Um, and with psych your mind, it was kind of getting to a point where I could pay all the bands really well and also pay myself really well for the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that was cool, you know? So, so financially, it wasn't too bad. And, and also at the time with the record label, CDs were still really popular. Yeah. So, and we weren't doing records at all. Um, and, and digital stuff was not really yeah. a thing at that time. So, so doing a label was super easy. And especially if you had something that was relatively, relatively successful, yeah. you could just go to a distribution company. They pay all your overheads. Yeah. And then you just do a deal where once the overheads are paid back, then it's just like a percentage thing. Mm. So, doing a label at that time was super easy. You didn't have to put in any money. You didn't have to do anything really. Yeah. I mean, there was a bit of coordinating and organization and that kind of thing. And, but then you just go to the distribution company. Here's the master. Here's the art. We'll come and get some tour stock off you when it's done. Yeah. Give us a statement in four months time or three months time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that worked really well. Like, um, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was doing real good, but what was actually happening was, bands on the label um, and bands that I was putting on shows for, I personally felt that they were kind of had like their heads were a bit too big. Mm -hmm. Like they were like literally demanding money from us. Yeah. And, and we were like 
yo, this is like how it works. These people have to make their money back off, off your release. Yeah. Then, you know, we have a small overhead that we've got to make back too. And then once that happens, you get the majority of the money. Yeah. But until then, you don't really see anything. Yeah. You know, but- Well, it's mi- effectively what continues to happen now. Yeah. Know? I mean, that, that that's a fairly simple way of running a label. Yeah. You, know, you go, I will pay for your shit. When I get my money back, I'll give you, you money. You can have money. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was bands that were like, weren't happy with that. And they were demanding like, like basically us funding their tour for them or yeah. like um, getting royalties, all this kind of stuff. And, and I mean, it, at the time it wasn't the hardest thing to deal with, mm-hmm. but it was just really like, it was just shitting me. Yeah. I was like, fair enough. Like you're the ones that are writing the songs. You're the ones that are getting in the van. You're doing this, you're doing that. But I'm also doing a lot of shit here for you as well. Yeah. I feel that you should be a bit more grateful. Sure. Because like, if it wasn't me doing it potentially and probably the other, the other people that would do, that would be doing it won't have as much, uh, like, and I don't, again, I don't want to sound like myself, but like cred, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at the time I felt it was like resist trial and error and washed up. Yeah. If you're a hardcore band, those three labels were probably... The ones to be yeah, on. Yeah, what you wanted to release your, seat, your shit on, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was kind of just like, well, fuck, you know, if I'm not doing it, you're not doing as well as you want to be doing. Mm. And I feel that the people that were saying this shit didn't like hardly deserve what I what I was doing for them. Yeah. So that just shit me so much. I was just like, you know, you're not fucking rock stars. You're not playing at fucking Rod Laver. Yeah. You're playing at the art house if you're lucky. Yeah. You know? So um, I, I just got real shitty with with putting up, putting up with that all the time. Mm. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I don't really have to deal with this. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I haven't like committed to no. this shit, you know. It's like a choice I've made. Yeah, 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 you know. Um. So yeah, that that's basically those kind of attitudes and, and not just with washed up stuff. Like I saw it happening in other parts as well and, and with other sure. bands and stuff, not just with washed up. And I was like, oh, fuck it. You know, like I don't need that shit. I'll just let those people deal with it and yeah. just they can just fuck themselves over you know yeah um, and which then I'm I, sure they all inevitably ended up doing anyway. oh well yeah I mean yeah the the, the 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 main band that contributed to me feeling like that is a joke now <laughs> you know I, I don't want to say their name just no, to, you okay. know, but uh, but yeah like they're a joke but um, uh, yeah and then I just wanted to do shit that I liked and at the time the 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 sort of crew that I was hanging out with were going to nightclubs and stuff. Yep. And I was super into that. I was like, this is real fun. Yeah. This is a total new kind of music. This is all really interesting. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, I learned to DJ. So I actually, even though DJing is totally different to playing a, uh, instrument in a band. Yeah. Um, I got to sort of be on the other side. If yeah, you know what sure. I mean? You know, I got to be the yeah, performer yeah. rather than, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and I, and I, I was still setting up, essentially gigs, but in that world, you call them parties. But, mm. um, you know, I, I was still doing that. Like I brought over to Melbourne uh, a handful of international DJs and that kind of thing. So I was still involved in that scene as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just like a good sort of refreshing change. Yeah. Sort of, you know. So And so you obviously spent, you know, a considerable amount of time doing that sort of stuff. What then led you to, you know, finding your way back to alternative sort of music then what what brought that back for you well during my time djing and going to nightclubs and that kind of thing i was still listening to heaps of hardcore and that kind of stuff um but uh 
I don't know. Like I, I went to the Warbrain LP launch. It was probably the first show that I went to in a long time. Um, oh, I think maybe the Outsiders Code LP launch was maybe before that. I'm not too sure, but around that time is when I kind of like was just like, oh fuck it, like I'll just I'll go check out. You know, I'll go see the band, see what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, start talking to some people again, and kind of just got a bit more psyched, and then just kept on going to shows again and it was yeah just it was just fun again you know yeah. what I mean like I didn't have to worry about the people coming through the door because I had nothing to do with it none of the bands were my responsibility mm. and there was heaps of bands that I hadn't heard of before and and that I was seeing that were real cool as well and I was meeting some like new people and stuff so yeah I just kind of just got psyched again and, yeah. and with with DJing and stuff it's it's a bit it's a weird it's a weird sort of world because to be a successful DJ you essentially have to tick a couple of boxes. You either have to bring a shitload of your friends to come and watch you DJ or else you're not worth a nightclub booking you. Sure. Um, You have to be a producer that produces popular songs so people will come to see, you know, one or two of those songs that you made. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you just have to somehow be able to just play an amazing set that just people know that you're going to play. Sure. And, you know... You build up a reputation for that sort of thing. That's right. And... But the, that that third one is really tricky, yeah, um, and it's really hard. And guys that have been DJing for ten years are close to doing that, sure, you right. know. Um, and I was getting a lot of gigs, but only through the nightclubs that my friends were running, yeah. Right. And then it kind of got to the point where, without saying it, I could kind of tell that they were thinking, "We're happy to put you on. We like you DJing. We like you being here, but." financially you're just not worth it for us right yeah and and i understood that and that was fine like so i kind of stopped djing um as much as i was so i didn't really have and also like with nightclubbing and all that kind of shit the older you get the harder it gets yeah and being straight edge as well (laughs) it makes it even harder to keep you loose yeah you know um so uh so i stopped kind of doing that and um but you know it's still needed something you know what i mean i just wasn't going to go home and just not go to live music or not go out and experience yeah. well by that point it had been know. a fucking enormous part of your life for well, yeah, years that, yeah that that's the thing like yeah um so i mean coming back into hardcore wasn't hard yeah you know because yeah i've devoted so much of my life to it you know yeah um, and you obviously and- still had an enormous network of friends and exactly to- yeah and and i think it was good having a break because it made me appreciate stuff a whole lot more as well. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, there, there was bands where before, uh, like when I was heavily into it, there was bands I'd listen to that I'd probably just be like, oh, you're a dime a dozen, you know, like sure. every band sounds like you, whatever. But now because I've had that break and like listening to new bands now, it, I, I don't know, kind of a little bit more appreciative, you know, because I'm like, oh, that band actually sounds like this band that I haven't listened to in five years. Yeah. But I remember I love them. So this band is cool, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I would argue that I have an, it's like a totally similar thing with metal and stuff too. Not that I've ever been as far removed from it as not playing and stuff like that. But I know for sure, like, I mean, I grew up listening to metal and playing metal and then got into like very heavy metal, like death metal and stuff like that. And then when I was like at my, you know, peak of super fucking long hair only listening to brutal <laughs> shit wearing cannibal corpse jumpers to work and stuff <laughs> then i started playing in a hardcore band and then i spent years playing in hardcore bands and then inevitably that led to being i exist and then 
by the time that I sort of got back into that and then was sort of finding, you know, the whole, all the while I was still listening to that heavy stuff, but I was also hearing all this other stuff as well. Like I was experiencing uh, a different kind of music and then through hardcore found other things as well. And then, so in that gap, I had, you know, was playing different music. And then when I sort of came back to playing heavier stuff again, and then inevitably like led to playing metal shows again and stuff like that. When I came back around now, it's like, like I just had such a rejuvenated, you know, interest in it, I guess. Like, you know, my favorite band since I sort of, sort of committed myself to playing music has been, I hate God. And then I played hardcore for years and years and years. And then I started playing and I exist and we were doing things and I was ripping off. I hate God a lot. And then we fucking toured with I Hate God. And it was like, <laughs> I remember like the last day of that tour, I was all that I could think about was like, this is, it's all been for this. This is all <laughs> this has been has just been building to this. But like, I think that's uh, not saying that people should do that. Just, you know, live the lives you lead. But I do think in a similar fashion, like my like passion for what I do has only come from having like a little bit of a breather from it, you know, like definitely. And like, obviously there is a handful of people that have been in the hardcore scene for fucking ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you're probably going to see them at shows every now and then as long as they possibly can go to shows, you know, but there are also those kids that make their entire lives hardcore. Yeah. You know, they, go straight edge, they go vegan straight away, mm-hmm. cover themselves in tattoos, hardcore, hardcore, hardcore. They yeah. just go crazy. They pit to every band, every show. Yeah. But then in a year, two years, they like those kids have like a, like a, a very short timeline because they yeah, just, they, they just burn themselves out. It takes just, too much in. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. yeah. And um, I, think, I mean, yeah, I think that's dangerous with everything. You know, if you just go too hard, too quick, yeah, then yeah, like you probably just won't, you won't stick around for too long, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you, you can't really say to yourself, all right, I'll pace myself because who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, if, if, if you feel that you are like super involved in something and you're pretty deep, it probably isn't the worst idea just to maybe take a step back and yeah. just chill, you know what I mean? Because then when, when you feel, if, if you feel that you want to start getting involved again or you want to get deep again, you know, then you're probably going to get more stoked and you're probably going to feel like you felt early on. Yeah, you know, for sure. Because you've had that little breather, you know? So is that is that what it felt like for you then, coming back around to it? Did oh, it feel good like that for you? Yeah, definitely. Like, I saw Thorns for the first time and um, I was just like, fuck yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? This band is making me feel like it's the first time I heard like On Broken Wings or something. Sure. You know? Or like the first time I heard like Throwdown. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when I saw Imprisoned, I was just like, yep, that band's fucking sick. Um, and uh, I think like I went, went to Break the Ice in 2013, actually. that's pro- That was probably the first hardcore show that I went to in ages. Now I think about it. Yeah. And, and yeah, that was awesome too. Like I hadn't really paid that much attention to Phantoms ever. Sure. I watched them and that was fucking awesome. Same with Iron Mind. Like I put on a few shows for Iron Mind early on. But, but again, I really didn't pay too much attention to them. Um, but then I, I saw them play and that was fucking awesome. And then like Cold World was rad. They're, they're a band I've always liked and always listened to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was just like feeling so good about 
heavy music again and yeah, like hardcore. Cool. And, and I was just like, fuck yeah, like this is, you know, my thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so did that, was that um, what sort of put forth the interest for you then to sort of start putting out some records and stuff again? Well, it was interesting because um, Lee from Thorns was was putting on shows where he could mm-hmm. and he approached me and he was like, well, now that you're going to shows again and you're kind of like back in the scene, would you consider running Psych Your Mind? And because I put on shows, I could help you. Yep. And I was like, yeah, man, that's a really cool idea. Let's do it. So he lived in the city. I mean, he worked in the city and so did I. So in our lunch breaks, we'd get together and chat and sort of work stuff out and, you know, um, basically organize Psyche Mind. And one day, like, and I I knew that Thorns were writing and gearing up to record their album, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, yeah, cool. You know, it'll be good when it comes out, whatever. And when me and him met to talk about Psyche Mind, he was like, oh, Tim just had an idea. Would you want to do our album with under washed up? Yeah. And I literally went from like, not even thinking of the words washed up records to being like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) And then, um, and I mean, it wasn't hard to do it again because, um, there was a lot of like the fundamentals of running a record label that I would just remembered. Yeah. But I mean, obviously the difference was no one fucking wants a CD anymore. Yeah. And instead of pressing CDs, which we still did, um, which, I mean, people bought, you know, people bought a lot of them. Yeah. But it's probably, uh, maybe didn't need to do CDs yeah. for that release. But I mean, a lot of people bought them. So, you know, that's all good. But, um, but yeah, instead of going to the distribution company and getting them to spread your CDs around Australia, you can just do that yourself by chucking it up on iTunes and Spotify and sure, Google yeah. Play and Bandcamp and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, so it was a little easier to sort of do it, do things that way. And then, um, yeah, just got the records pressed and that was really cool. Um, and then from that, then like, um, because Lee worked with Josh from, and Kane from Warbrain, mm-hmm. um, they, uh, sort of felt that their next release, which was at seven inch, they wanted to have a bit more of like a personal touch rather than, sure. I mean, doing an album or anything on resist is awesome. You know what I mean? For any yeah. band, but they just felt for that particular release, they just wanted the label to approach it a bit differently. Yeah. So they asked me and I was like, your war brain, of course, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, and that was, and I knew that was just before their European tour as well. So, you know, that was also an added bonus for, for me to put it out. Um, and then, yeah, like talked to imprisoned and like hopeless and stuff. So yeah, it just, those four releases kind of just like, um, just were kind of like dominoes, you know what I mean? Like, like one just came after the other. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it kind of made it just real easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is with Washed Up Now is there's nothing that really, in my opinion, is that exciting sure. to put time and like money and effort into. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Washed Up's kind of like at a bit of a, slow spot at the moment but um well that'll change over time though you know? well yeah you never know what's going to happen yeah like i know there's a bunch of new bands like that yeah like the life of regret guys were telling us that they've got like a whole bunch of shows lined up for the rest of the year that they're about to announce over the next couple of weeks or whatever mm-hmm. and there's a, a lot of new bands that um you know they're working with on those shows so yeah maybe some of those bands will be real cool and worth you know talking to or you know working yeah. with you know sick um and so i guess 
like beyond that then is that would that be like a continual goal for you now then like would it just be to put out something when you take interest in it is that 100 yeah i mean if if i don't put out another record for another year and a half or two years Mm -hmm. that's fine yeah like i'm still going to maintain the the facebook page and the band camp and that kind of thing yeah and you know if someone wants to buy shit i'm still going to send it to them you Mm know um but yeah i'm like with washed up previously we were actively looking for bands and like we were act- like we were actually talking to bands and we were having conversations like listen like we reckon that you're pretty good mm-hmm. but then like if you just did this or just did that we reckon like you'd be really good and then you know we can do your CD and we can probably get you on a tour and we could get you into you know we can play we can we can get you to play in other states and this and that um, so we were actually trying to push the label as much as we could and do as much as we possibly could for the bands mm-hmm. back when washed up started but now I'm just like, if a cool band comes along and my friends are in it or the kids are cool, then I'll probably maybe do it. Yeah. You know, and I'll do what I can and then that'll be that. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's more, it's like, a, it's just a purely a hobby now. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And, and and hopefully like I, I, I can do enough to satisfy what the bands need. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I'm not going to sort of lie to them or anything like that. You know, I'm just yeah. going to say, this is what I'm going to do. If you're happy to do it, then sweet. If not, that's totally cool too. You know? Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that we obviously need to touch on is the fact that you guys do a podcast as well that I have <laughs> graciously been a guest on in the past. And yep. then I had Stu on this one too. Um, but so I've heard Stu's side of things with that, obviously. But what interest brought you to doing that as well? Well... Stu had been talking to me for a couple of weeks about wanting to do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, man, that's really cool. Like, I reckon you should. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, you'll definitely be a guest on it. And I was like, yeah, man, like whenever you get around to it, just tell me and we'll hook up a time and mm-hmm. I'll be on it and that will be cool. And then a couple of days leading up to me being on his first episode, he was just like, we'll just do it with me. It'll just be you and me. Instead yeah. of you being a guest, we'll just do it together. And I was like, yep, I'll, I'm happy for that as well. Sure. So... We, we had a little bit of a talk about how we wanted to structure it and how we want it to be like. Yeah. But it it just sort of evolved on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we never sort of said, you know, you know, we always need to have guests or we always want to do it like this. We want to do it like that. I mean, we have had a lot of con- like conversations along the, the way. I think we're up to like episode 36 or something now. Yeah. Something see. like that. Um, so, over time we have sort of said, okay, well, let's try to do this or this, or, you know, let's do it like this, or we have tried to change it a little bit, but mostly it just does its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's really how it came about. Like yeah. it, there was no um, preparation really. Like I've, like I've got a whole bunch of DJ gear at home. Yeah. Um, and when I did like a mix, like a, like a DJ mix, I'd always record it live. So I just plug my mixer into my computer and press record and then just start mixing and then yeah. that would be it. So I knew that I could record a podcast the same way. Yeah, for but sure. It, but instead of the music coming from the turntables, it just came from the microphone. From microphone yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the first episode we did like that and it sounded really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which one <laughs> like, was that? The, the very first one. The very, one. very first one. Right, yeah. right. So it was literally me and Stu holding a microphone in between us. Yeah. And like the microphone would like, fall down or you know like we just couldn't be bothered holding it in the middle yeah um so yeah you can you could tell like our voices like 
like it sounds like we're kind of walking away sort yeah, of yeah for you know? sure um and then like Stu got this other microphone and we kind of like picked up a little bit how to do it mm-hmm. um but uh i gotta say your setup compared to my <laughs> compared to our setup is psycho yeah, like me and Stu you. are like huddled around like a dining room table with this microphone <laughs> in the middle sort of like leaning into it to make sure it picks up our voices yeah but you and i are just lounging back on we couches like you're living like kings Sick. here <laughs> Well, um, I can say that that is not by way of intelligence, merely by way of like, <laughs> I watched a fuckload of YouTube videos and I listened to a bunch of people telling me like, you should do this, you should do this. Like the handiest thing for me was doing the second episode with my friend Jason, who has recorded all the I Exist records. And he was like, oh, how about I teach you how to do like this, this and this and that'll make things better. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I love that someone told me how to do that. (laughs) Um, So do you guys have like a plan for what you want to do with, you know, continuing with the podcast or is it just sort of flowing however you want it to flow? Yeah, it's it's just doing its own thing really. Yeah. Um, We try to tee up guys to come on. Sometimes they can do it. Sometimes they can't. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if it comes to a weekend, we, I mean, we, the majority of the time we do it on like a Friday night, Saturday or a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, if it comes to the weekend and we haven't got anyone teed up, we are comfortable enough just to do it ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, play a little bit of music, just talk shit, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're happy just to, just to let it flow. Yeah. You know? sick. Um, you know, we've worked out how to get it on iTunes and you can subscribe to it and, you know, like it's on SoundCloud, obviously, and that, that's just super easy to get up on SoundCloud anyway. But yeah, um, yeah, it just does its own thing and we're happy for that as well. We have tried to, I mean, we're like a few times where I've kind of looked at like the plays, you know, yeah. how many people listen to it or whatever, and some are better than others. So we've kind of tried to figure out why some of the episodes weren't as listened to as others and tried to work on that a little bit. Yeah. But um, but in the end, like, I don't think we... I mean, we love it when we have a lot of people listening to it. Yeah. But the, the episodes that don't have a lot of people listening to it, it's a bummer. And sometimes it does get a little discouraging and, you know, but in the end of the day, like, if anyone listens to it, that's fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? that That's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, generally, the shit that we have to say isn't fucking world changing, you know? <laughs> um, it's a groundbreaking conversation. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if anyone is happy to listen to us crap on, then that's fine, you know? Yeah. So. Fuck yeah. Well, um, do you have anything you want to sort of plug for the world? Obviously, the podcast. Yeah, well, you can find my podcast with Stu um, on SoundCloud. Just search Stu and Tom's podcast. Mm-hmm. Our, um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's just Stu and Tom's PC, you know, at Twitter. Um, washed Up Records, just search Washed Up Records on Facebook, washedupperecords.bandcamp if you want to listen to all the music. Um, everything's on iTunes and stuff as well, Spotify, so you can check all that kind of stuff out. Um, if you're a weirdo that has a Galaxy or a whatever... Google Play, I think, is yeah. You can it get works shit on through. that. Yeah, yeah. So all the music's up on that too. For those um, strange people out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about it, really. Um, I've got nothing coming up that I need to sort of announce or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think. Cool, man. Well, yeah. thank you very much for coming and doing this. Nah, thanks for having me. It's been rad. My absolute pleasure. Cool.